You are listening to Secret Handshake, the podcast covering the movies that help you identify your friends and maybe make a few more along the way. Coming up, spine number 57, 2013's Redemption, a.k.a. Hummingbird, and the undeniable bald badassery of Jason Statham, featuring headbutts, sausages, transporters, bank jobs, death races, expendables, Vin Diesel, Giant Sharks, Guy Ritchie, and the super-secret beekeeper program, Martin. Yes. You really think you're ready for the field? I once used defibrillators on myself. I put shards of glass in my fucking eye. I've jumped from a high-rise building using only a raincoat as a parachute and broke both legs upon landing. I still had to pretend I was in fucking Cirque du Soleil show. I've swallowed enough microchips and shit them back out again to make a computer. This arm has been ripped off completely and reattached with this fucking arm. During the threat of an assassination attempt, I appeared convincingly in front of Congress as Barack Obama. I watched the woman I love get tossed from a plane and hit by another plane midair. I drove a car off a freeway on top of a train while it was on fire. Not the car. I was on fire. Welcome back to another edition of Secret Handshake. I'm your host, Jacob Knight, and joining me as always is Martin Carlson. Martin, you ready for this, you fucking cunt? <laughs> Absolutely. And for our first episode of 2024, we are going to bring you an entire roster of Jason Statham movies, uh, mostly to celebrate The Beekeeper, which is his newest uh, venture into just fucking everything up in front of him. Uh, it comes to us from David Ayer, the director of such fine features as Sabotage, which this is more in line with, yeah. I would say, than, say, Suicide Squad, which sucks balls and should never be viewed by human eyes. Um, but, I mean, like... I, how do you feel about Ayer as a whole? I really, really like him. Um, I liked him when he was a writer first. I mean, Training Day is an amazing script. We studied it in film school, for yeah. crying out loud, you know? Um, and then I liked his I liked his early stuff. I even liked Harsh Times. I, at the time, it was kind of fun and, and really pulpy. I liked Christian Bale kind of just going off the fucking wall in that. And that was um, during, like, kind of the early, like, Christian Bale kind of renaissance when he's yeah, just pre-Batman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's right on the cusp of being Batman. It's after American Psycho. Everybody's kind of high on him as the next kind of big, intense, brooding actor. And Harsh Times... Because I haven't seen it in years, but that's the one where he's married to the Mexican woman is basically like the ex-army vet. Yeah, he's got a lot of there's a lot of cool like flashbacks. So he was basically one of those those like ghost like special forces right. guys in in um, Afghanistan. Um, but he's got severe PTSD, and it's he and Freddie Rodriguez his best friends, and I, they have a really cool relationship. Um, I love End of Watch a lot. 
Um, that is a good. It's a movie. Really, really good Jake uh, Gyllenhaal performance and and, and Michael Pena again. Yeah. A good like I wouldn't call it buddy cop, but like the relationship is so perfect. And it's almost like a found footage movie. A lot of it is like and because they, they use the body cam stuff exactly. Um, but and and that had a very similar feel to it was like his training day. That kind of idea of like slowly but, getting into the underworld of L.A. But also somehow more bleak. Oh, training day. The ending of that movie is like a sledgehammer. Oh, it's brutal. Um, and then I'm trying to think. Street oh. Kings is the other one that <sighs> I love to death because it has such a bizarre Keanu performance in it. And you have all the James Elroy kind of hard boiled like nonsense. Forrest Whitaker's great in it. I didn't watch it till last year because you kept telling me about it. Yeah, it's and a I, lot and of I, fun. I adored it. I mean, Keanu's doing a thing, man. Ooh, he's so funny. Lots of racist stuff. Um. I one of my favorite air. I think Fury is so fucking good. It's great. I, it's like a fucking Samuel Fuller movie, man. It's so fucking brutal. Remember when they were trying to to position that to almost be like an Oscar contender? In hindsight, sort of an insane move. Yeah, because it's just it's just, it, it it does what Ayer is really good at, and honestly, I think the Beekeeper might be his best movie thus far. Be, is that he just when when he gets out of his own way and just makes a straight up action movie, which Fury really is. It's just a oh. war movie that's very gory, very violent, and has movie stars at its center. He's really, really fucking good at that. And the Beekeeper is that plus like the ridiculousness of of a Statham movie. Like it's almost like the Uber Statham movie. Well, it's also weirdly feels like there's scenes that are apologies for Suicide Squad because that's a comic book and this is a comic book world. I mean, if right. Sabina Keeper feels like not reality in the least, like you made the point off mic about these boss level kind of idea that he keeps fighting these different like levels of, uh, you know, stronger villains. And, you know, and of course, like we don't have to get into Suicide Squad, but that was obviously an abortion. Well, it was edited insanely. That's the word you're looking for. But is like, abortion. but Warner Brothers, they you know chopped it to shit. You know, um, and that, but that's also become one of those weird ones post Snyder cut that there you know, and even Ayer has kind of positioned himself for doing this too. Is that there's now released the Ayer cut of yeah. Suicide Squad? But I'm going to tell you what, I don't give a fuck. You can reorder that movie. You can show new footage. You can like. I, I, unless you completely recast it and make a new movie like from scratch, it's a fucking piece of shit. Like, there's no way you save that. I remember sitting in the theater and like wanting to claw my eyes out while that was going. Every needle drop, oh, that's every funny. character introduction, Jared Leto's entire fucking existence. Like, I hated that movie in a way. That I haven't hated because I I don't hate many movies. I tr yeah, you want to like this. it, yeah. Like I find good in even the worst sort of scenarios. That one, like it made me physically angry. Like I wanted to fucking fight people at the end of Suicide Squad, and not in like the fun like fist pumping. Like yeah, let's go. I love that movie. Can't wait for the sequel. It's like literally. Who greenlit this? Can I take him behind a dumpster and beat his ass? Well, it's it's a crazy movie too because. One of the things that Ayer has is that he has an eye. Like, he's got a really, really good eye. So, like... And he has, like, a distinct style and texture. And his the way he does action, he's got a very consistent style there. But, like, Suicide Squad on silent, out of context, they're kind of... They're, like, they're good-looking action 
scenes, I think. Like, this kind of escape from New York. When they get into the city, I think it's very cool to look at. I don't know if I ever want to watch it again, and it is a complete fucking mess, but I think there's still things to, to like, glean from it in terms of Ayer is still a talented, like, filmmaker, even in the midst of that shit. You're giving for those of you who can't see the look that Jacob's giving me right now. This is obviously all audio, but um, he's giving me a death stare. So yeah, you could never convince me. Yeah, and I, and I don't want to. And I, yeah, it's not something definitely I'm gonna like die on the sword, you know, fall on the sword for. So yeah, <laughs> a deal breaker. Yeah, deal breaker. Martin defends Suicide Squad. Jacob murders him. I, I would do it as like uh, an exercise to see like it's one of those like it's like a debate club. It's like debate <laughs> debate club where you're like, here's a thing you don't believe and you have to convince people. Like I would do it for, for Suicide Squad. <laughs> Your prompt is suicide is good, actually. <laughs> but since I'm gonna make the case for the beekeeper being kind of like the Uber Statham movie, let's go back in time and define what the Statham movie is now but also like how it evolved because I, I think one of my big arguing points with Statham when I talk about him is that he started as one thing and he's become something totally different as time has gone on. But I mean, I would imagine that your introduction to him was the same as mine with lock stock and two smoking barrels back in like the late nineties and how, like I remember working at blockbuster video it was back in the post Tarantino days and like this was basically touted as like the British Tarantino yeah. it was Guy Ritchie, you know, it was fast talking criminals who was, you know, playing with time shifting, uh, you know, storytelling, yeah. Uber violence, Uber violence. Yeah. Explosions of Uber violence, humor, weird needle drops that are like kind of discordant with what's actually happening on screen. The whole nine yards. It's just, British and I remember I didn't see it in theaters but I distinctly recall ordering back I worked at Blockbuster Video and we had a master like binder to where you could order basically any movie that you wanted and we got Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels we got like one copy of it I watched it one time and I instantly went back the next day to work and just ordered myself a copy because I wanted to watch it a million times. Is that fair to say that that's where you saw him first, too? I feel like that's where just everybody saw him first. That's our age, at least. Yep. I was a... I saw it when it first came in video. My Okay, my dad and I did a double feature. We rented that and The Big Lebowski's. The first time I saw both movies were at the same sitting. Um, I actually feel bad for Lockstock in that <laughs> sitting because, like, Lebowski's just such an atom bomb of a comedy. Well, and my dad and I were quoting immediately Big Lebowski, you know, to each other. This is before, obviously, it became what it is today, Lebowski too. But I had a very similar reaction to Lockstock. I watched that movie probably a hundred times. I bought it on VHS at the first second. You know that a lot of times at video stores, they would have the, like, used copies. Mm -hmm. That's the best way to get it before DVD. Immediately when I saw one, I grabbed it. I probably watched it once a month, you know, and just plowed through that. And I, and I endlessly quotable. It's so it was so and just like visually, it's pretty stunning, a really cool looking movie. Um, and I remember it's funny that I think Statham really does stand out. I mean, I think of him and I think of Vinnie Jones. I think in terms of people who really that that Richie kind of 
brought into the world because like he made both of them for for better or for worse yeah, household I was, names. I was gonna say I have a lot of thoughts on Vinnie Jones when we get to Snatch, which is uh, maybe here's the thing. It is the the debate that I had when we talk about like how people were introduced to Statham for the first time is that I wonder if hardcore film nerds were introduced with Lockstock because we were the ones seeking everything out, finding stuff on VHS, like you said, buying the DVD. But Snatch is almost like... Because it's what? Because Lockstock's 97. Snatch is 2000. Snatch is 2000. Lockstock's 98, but I think, yeah. And, yeah. But I mean, yeah, it's like two or three years removed from one another. But I mean, Snatch is essentially like, it's almost like Phantasm 2 in a weird way. <laughs> yeah. In that it's just a remake. Or Evil Dead 2. Or Evil yeah. Dead 2. Yeah. They're, like for, for the hardcore like horror people out there is that it's a, a director who's hot. Everybody taps as being the next big young thing. And he gets a bunch of money from a studio. He gets a couple movie stars, and he just remakes his movie because Snatch is, I mean, structurally near identical. Oh yeah, to Lockstock. It just has a budget, and it has fucking Brad Pitt and Dennis Farina and Benicio del Toro. Like the cast, and that's become the signature of most Guy Ritchie movies. Is that it's to this his, day? Yeah, one of his biggest lessons that he took from Pulp Fiction is that. You populate your movie. It's almost like the Jonathan Demi rule of like every character has to be a face that the audience recognizes, you know? Yeah. And Snatch is like, I remember when that movie came out, like going to see it in theaters the day it came out and being like, this is the greatest fucking movie ever. Now, here's my thesis on Snatch is that, and we've talked about this in terms of, uh, Actually, way back in our second episode ever with Six String, Six String Samurai is that we talked about how there are some movies that are super cool to you when you're 15, 16, <laughs> yeah. 17 years old. Like Cody talks about with Discovering Six String Samurai for the first time. Yeah. Snatch, I feel like, was that because I was 19. 18 or 19 when it came out in 2000 had the snatch poster on my wall like loved it watching it now it's a movie that i distinctly recognize as being cool when i was 18 but at 41 not as cool and there are things distinctly about it that have aged very poorly but one thing that has not is jason fucking statham who's incredible and richie puts him like he recognizes it as much as we do as the audience. He puts him front as center as Turkish, the main character. Yeah. It's, it's funny because you see, I totally agree with your point that it's this like almost, you know, soft remake with a bigger budget and stars of Lockstock. But a lot of the people he brings back, um, uh, Jason Fleming, you know, people who are part of the, the quartet, the main four guys from Lockstock. But the he, future Dr. Jekyll yeah. and Mr. Hyde <laughs> in the yes. League of Extraordinary and, and the, Gentlemen. And the villain in Solomon Kane, one of my, Ooh, yeah. Good Lord. Um, I wonder and, what Jason, what, what do you think, what what brand of auto insurance does Jason sta- or Jason Fleming sell in England? Uh, I, don't, I mean, I, he still pops up and stuff, but but no, but you could, I mean, to your point, though, like, uh, you could see that Richie with Statham was like, okay, this is the guy. Like, this is the guy I'm going to elevate to my lead character. And, and you, know, you mentioned that, like, he's surrounded by stars, but 
his his part ages the best, you know, because like Benicio, I find kind of weirdly annoying in it. Like it's just he's doing this weird thing. Um, his accent, it, it's like he's being so weirdly cool. And it's like, what are you? He's doing the Benicio thing. Yeah. And it's but just, it doesn't. Qu- he's almost in his own movie or he's doing a, an extension of uh, Fenster from uh, <laughs> Usual Suspects. Uh, usual Suspects. Yep. I flip you. Flip me for he's real. Just, he's doing the whole Yiddish accent. He's got the hair, the glasses. I, I don't think that I find his performance annoying as much as I find how Guy Ritchie utilizes the character annoying because it has all the weird... Like As soon as we find out that Frankie Fourfingers is like... A gambling addict. We have all those fucking annoying, like, super cuts of, like, Viva Las Vegas. It's like him sweating and losing all of his money at the table and stuff. And it's just, it's the, you're seeing the Guy Ritchieisms kind of uh, become born in, in real time in front of you because it's all the hyperactive and kinetic editing, the montages, slow motion. The slow motion the insane like zooms and camera moves and stuff is like, this feels like, you know, we, we talk about uh, like Paul Thomas Anderson and like Magnolia and Boogie Nights as being like the ultimate, like Coke kid movies. I don't want to know how much cocaine Guy Ritchie was doing when he made snatch, because it's almost like your annoying little brother who you're like, just calm down, man. Like chill, like have a riddle in and go sit in the fucking corner. Yeah, I was watching it on the plane um, and on the way back from England. And so this has been a way to continue my my trip is to watch a lot of Statham. But it was so weird to watch the movie. And like to your point, like I thought this was, I thought this was the pinnacle of cool when I was 17. Um, and it it's still like for me, it's still a really enjoyable movie. It's really flashy. Like Pitt's really cool in it. Pitt's do it. Pitt's at that, that fight club era of just yeah, like cut, cut from wood. Exactly. You know, and, and covered in a layer of grime. Yeah. Doing and, like his, cause I remember that was back when they even ran this like rolling stone profile of him of like, you think, you know, the real Brad Pitt, but you don't until you go to his house and he's just chain smoking cigarettes and everything has like a layer of dirt on it. Like I vividly remember, I think it might've been for fight club, but it's like this, his, his role as the pikey boxer and snatch is kind of like the pinnacle even more than Tyler Durden was. Cause he's just grimy and gnarly and looks like he hasn't showered in a month and yeah but he's still hot he's still fucking brad pitt yeah um but yeah i mean again like statham though like he holds his own i think and he's not in a lot of scenes with these guys he's in with brad pitt but like but like statham is is such the like the comic core of the of the movie i mean all the stuff with he and Stephen Graham, like they're they're both great. Like their their back and forth are so funny. Tommy, you're looking out for the Germans. Like that shit's still funny to this day. Um, oh yeah, yeah. But but as a film, it's a, it's a, it's just for me the film of that type. The number one of like I thought it was cool then and I don't now is is Boondock Saints. Oh, like Jesus that was Christ. the ultimate of like when I was that age, sixteen. I'm like, this is the coolest movie ever made, and now I'm like, it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Like it's just completely. 
Did you ever see the documentary made about Troy Duffy overnight? No. And how he basically, like, what an asshole he was. He, I heard he's he crazy, yeah. He blew his whole career. Well, you can watch it. It's a 90-minute documentary that was supposed to basically be, like, a behind-the-scenes thing on, on Boondock Saints because Boondock Saints famously, like, he sold the movie, you know, the script for a bunch of money, like, did the whole, like, big dick thing where it's like, I directed or nobody, the Weinsteins bankroll it. But, like, he walks in thinking he's basically, like, Tarantino and, like, spends all kind of money, is drinking, partying, talking all kinds of shit. But, like, they capture it all on overnight, This and it becomes this documentary. I think it played at Sundance, like, mm. a couple of years after Boondock Saints came out and was just a huge... Because Boondock Saints was originally supposed to be, like, the next Pulp Fiction. It was supposed yeah, to be dropped an in theaters, another one, yeah. Uh, become like the next kind of pop, you know, crime uh, darling on the indie scene. And then it became a blockbuster exclusive and was, you know, dumped onto video store yeah. shelves. And Troy Duffy like didn't really do anything else until years later when he made Boondock Saints 2. Which All I Saints never say, saw. Why would you? Yeah. I mean, I've seen Boondock Saints. Why would I watch a sequel? <laughs> but so Statham... Then goes on, and I think the next big thing that we have from him is the transport. Yeah. What is that, three years later, 2003? 2002, yeah. And we were debating this the other night while we were watching uh, Furious 7, and remembering when we saw it in movie theaters for the first time, because, like, here's the thing. When you watched Statham in Lockstock... And Snatch, like, what do you think attracted Richie to him? Like, why was he the guy? Because he wasn't, it wasn't because he could fight. There weren't any action scenes or anything. Like, Pitt had all the action scenes, and even those were, yeah. like, you know, again, super cut, like, boxing matches. Like, why do you think Statham was the dude? I mean, the ultimate, you know, street, street-level fast talker, um, I mean, he, he's the epitome of a Richie hero of just this like this guy who's who's basically trying to charm his way out of a bad situation. And I think just that like that London Street guy who's like really kind of gruff, handsome in a certain kind of way, but he's not hot, you know, in the classical sense. I think Richie kind of also maybe saw a little bit of like I want that's that's me in in the movie, you know. It's kind of like that's my my analog in the film. Yeah, I feel like he represents the real-life version of the characters that he was making. Yeah, and like, that's kind of how he met. Satan like, was a street hustler. He was a street dude. Yeah. Like, he, he did, like, either card games or sold stuff, like, merch on the street and stuff. I mean, he was an Olympic diving hopeful at one point. He was yep. a male model. He was in music videos, was his only acting credits until Lock, Stock, and Snatch. That's my thing, is I, I feel like he saw him, he was like, that guy. Like, he's basically one of the characters, as I see it in my head, of all of these stories. Because that, that, that was the infamous kind of legend of Guy Ritchie for those first couple movies, is that he basically heard all of these stories from criminals and thugs and, like, drinkers in the pubs and stuff. And he just wove them into these hyper-stylish, you know, post-Tarantino kind of crime pictures. And Statham was, like you said, the the epitome of, like... There's the protagonist. He's the real guy. He's just movie, kind of movie star handsome. He's cut, 
and he can deliver the lines. He, and he has a certain kind of level of charisma. One thing that he didn't have that I'm not going to lie. When I saw the transporter in theaters, I was like, what the fuck? Dude, that first fight scene in the transporter in the house, when you see Statham kick somebody in the face and do straight up martial arts, never saw that coming. And that kind of redefined who he was, both for me, but for like everyone, because it was like, it was clear that Statham was like, I'm going to be an action star. I'm not just going to be the fast talking guy, Richie guy. And he kind of never went back, you know, to that. There's still elements like there's certain ones where he's still so charming and he still has that kind of underdog street quality and gruff quality. But I was the same way. I mean, like when I when I saw the trailer for Transporter and I again, I loved Snatch. I loved Lockstock. I'm like, oh, cool. Good for him. But like. He's going to be an action guy? It, it felt like it felt like apples to oranges, man. I was like, there's no way he could do that. And I was the same way. Like, that movie, 20 minutes in, 100% sold. Like, it's it just like, okay, cool. Yep. Well, and then you get to the oil fight. Oh, that, that's, like, that's the dude. scene. That's the scene. Yeah. It's- also, because he's just like a specimen. Like, that's where you show off his physicality as a hard body, right? Yeah. In a classical, like, it's like a, it's like a Van Damme scene. Yeah, he has you know, no fat on him oh, whatsoever. Dude, it's insane. And the other thing that's amazing about him, because you have Corey Yoon uh, doing all the you know, Hong Kong legend, basically directing and doing all the fight scenes and stuff. You have Luke Basson uh, producing the movie. And wrote it with Robert Mark Kamen. Yeah, exactly. So it <laughs> yeah. has this kind of like action movie pedigree about it. But the whole time you're sitting there being like, Statham, the guy from Snatch. Weird. But then this becomes his career because you have not only that, but also like, I mean, here's the thing. And this is on me and you, frankly, and not on anybody else. He was in the Jet Li movie, the one like two years before that. But even then, he didn't have quite the level of like on screen wide angle Hong Kong style martial arts like he does in the transporter. Yeah, because in and and Ghost of Mars was O one. Yes. So both of those situations, I remember it was like, yeah for me I'm like, oh cool, they put him in an action movie with Jet Li, or he's a side character in Ghost of Mars. Um but there was something that right about Transporter being this leading man, you know, leading man um action star that felt so different, right? Um and and also you could, you could feel in in the one and in Ghost of Mars like he flounders a little bit like they're also kind of not great movies. Well, this is kind of the period where like outside of the action stuff, if you look at his IMDb, they don't really know what to do with him. exactly because he's in like the Italian Job for F. Gary Gray. Oh, yeah, he's in. Remember that weird movie with Chris Evans, Cellular, where he like. Oh my God, he's the, he's the bad guy, yeah, right? Where he's the, it's a Larry Cohen script. Wow, like, and it's from the guy uh, who Kim made, Basinger too, right? Yeah, she's yeah. the one after uh, L.A. Confidential. Yeah, when talk about somebody else who nobody really knew what to do with after her Oscar win, um, because I mean that's also directed by the guy I believe who made Final Destination or fi- no Final Destination Two. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then. No, you have Transporter 2, which is great. Yep. A lot of people love. But then you have Revolver, his reteaming with Guy Ritchie, which should probably go unremarked upon because it's terrible. 
And when Richie was in a lost period then, too. Exactly. That, that's pre-Sherlock Holmes where he really... And that's post-Swept Away, the remake that Which almost ruined his, his almost ruined his career completely. Yeah. And he kind of hung out for a while. Well, and... what's the thing... What's one of the main lessons that we've learned in Hollywood over the years? Because it didn't just happen to Guy Ritchie. It happened to Sean Penn, too. Don't marry Madonna. <laughs> just fucks your shit up. Don't do it. Yeah. Leads you down a dark path <laughs> that you might not return from. <laughs> I mean, and then there's stuff like War, the other Jet Li movie, which yeah. is okay. He does more fighting in that one with in comparison to the one. But he also has Crank. Yeah. Like one of the signature Statham roles. And you can see, and that was the thing, is that when we talk about like what happened with him in this period of his career, is that it's like Neville Dean and Taylor saw him and were like, I know what to do with that fucking guy because not only is he physically imposing, can he do martial arts? He's funny. He's fucking funny. <laughs> yeah. And he becomes like almost like the roadrunner for them. In he's like movies. Charlie Chaplin on, on crack. You yeah. know, it's just insane. It's yeah. incredible. And then Crank 2 just takes it to a whole other level. Like that movie is out of its fucking mind. I remember seeing that in theaters and being like, they let you do this? Like, you're allowed to do this? This movie, like, he sodomizes a man with a shotgun in, like, the first 10 minutes. And he basically, like, greases it with, like, motor oil. And I, again, saw it in the theater. I was sitting there like, this is uncomfortable. Okay. Well, he, don't you feel like that Statham, like, one of the things that has led him to such success is he's just game. Like, he's, he's like... He he obviously is not going to do anything, but like he saw Crank, saw an opportunity for. I mean, like, he did a Yui Bowl movie. He, so well, but a lot could retract. I mean, he would do anything. Yeah, yeah, and Yui Bowl like that's weird because like Yui Bowl being a lot of bigger people have worked with him over the years, but and supposedly you get paid quite well. Yeah, he gets that that weird tax shelter or over in like Bulgaria or yeah, whatever money that nobody knows where it comes from. So name of the king. Which I did see, not for this pod, but Me too. Um, it's not good. Um, well, I watched it because one of my first big BMD articles when I started there was I took Jason Statham's entire filmography and ranked it. <laughs> I watched all of them. Oof. And you know how I rated them? How many headbutts were in each movie? Which has the most? I don't remember. Oh, man. And you know what? Whatever fucker bought that site and let it lapse. You can't find the article anymore. Oh, I wow. actually tried to look it up so we could put it on our social and people could revisit it. it I'm going to have to use like the Internet Archive or the um, Wayback Machine or something because like it's just, you know, the domain is lapsed and wow. you can't get that shit. So fuck you. That thing was like almost 12,000 words long. It was it was a novel. I'm, pr- I'm proud of you. <laughs> I'm proud of myself. <laughs> You can't imagine, like, I was sitting there with a calculator quantifying headbutts. <laughs> it's one of my finest moments. <laughs> you know, when we proposed this episode to one another, we both came up with a top five of, like, the Statham movies that we think that we should cover that kind of... Yeah. Maybe not our favorite, this, but ones that should be talked about. Yeah. yeah. It gives it gives the, the listeners, like, a full kind of picture of his career. And in 2008, we both picked a movie... I picked the bank job, which I think shows his kind of character actor side really well. It's a Ronald Roger Donaldson movie. It's kind of a Richie ex character too, a little bit. Well, it reminds yeah. me of the old. Uh, who's that director who w- made? Um, 
those Michael Caine. I was going to say, like, Chris File stuff. Exactly. Yeah. That type of stuff. Yeah. Like, that's what the bank job really reminds me Real mod me. kind of exactly, style. Yeah. yeah. And he, he, I mean, he's, his character's name in that is Terry Leather. Oh, it's awesome. It's like incredible. And but Saffron then, Burroughs has never looked sexier. Yes, oh, dear. Really God. Hot in that movie. I remember that was one of the first, if not the first date I took my ex-wife on. Wow. Yeah, crazy. But then you picked a movie from 2008, then I'm going to need you to explain your love uh, to me. Paul W.S. Anderson's Death Race? Yes, sir. Why? Yes, sir. I rewatched this. I'm not going to lie. This movie fucking sucks, dude. I... Really, I don't love this movie. I really like this movie a lot. So mm-hmm. I saw it. I was in grad school, and we had a class on, on film criticism. And everyone had to, um, you like part of the part of the class would be um, assigned to go see one movie. I was assigned to go see that movie College. It was that it was basically it was a Nickelodeon feature they turn into a rated R movie like last minute with the guy from Drake and Josh who's since been canceled. Um I have it, no recollection it's, of it's this literally movie. gone to the sand it's the sands of time. Like it's it's a forgettable movie. But the rest of the class went and saw Death Race and like everyone was like, I fucking hated that. What a what, I'm in grad school I had to go see fucking Death Race. But my one friend Danica was like, I think you'd like it, Martin. And actually Martin, this is totally your shit. And and then I went and Paul W.S. Anderson is a really, really uneven director because, like, Event Horizon is, I think, top five fair horror film for me, like, hands down. Like, it's great. It's amazing. Um, and what do then, you think of Kurt Russell's Soldier? It's pretty bad. It's, <laughs> it's, it's rough. That's one I've, like, tried, and I've seen it a few times. Are you a Resident Evil guy? I like franchise? the first one a lot. I think the first one. Really? Is a, I, I, like the, I like the first one. But you don't like it as it goes on? Because it has one of our other boys uh, who directs an installment or Mulcahy. maybe two. Yeah, Mulcahy. He did part three. Okay. Um, is it only one of them? Yeah, so so Paul W. Anderson did part one. I forget who did two, but it wasn't him. Mulcahy's three. And then four, five, and then six. Maybe there's seven. Didn't he produce all of them though? Like yeah. he has a creative kind of toe in in the entire pool. A hundred percent. And so he, but during I me, mean, he was still working on the series. But I think no, no. Before he came back for part four, um, he did um, he did Death Race. And right. One of the reasons. I, okay, first of all, you know this. Some of our listeners know. Like I like cars car movies but i like car fantasy sci-fi kind of mixed together yeah that hot rod kind of building cars up and you like the original death race i like it a lot and so i like that similarly to um aja's piranha where it's like this like loving tribute to a corman movie but blowing it up with a bigger budget this kind of felt like that imagine just doing a corman movie with like a significant budget and it just does the thing. I love the, um, it kind of reminds me of the running man, the kind of gamification of just this, like, you know, well, that was the movie that it reminded me of more than even the original, the Paul, you know, Bartel. Oh yeah. Uh, movie is that it's like, well, he pulls on all kinds of, he pulls on escape from New York. Like escape he pulls on all well, kinds that's of shit. What he does. Yeah. That he's, oh, one of the he's a butcher. Ultimate, yeah. He's a hack and he's kind of like, one of the ultimate, like, kind of 
pastiche mm-hmm. artists where it's just like, yeah, you've seen Escape from New York. You've seen Death Race 2000. You've seen Fortress. You've seen Fortress. <laughs> you've seen like you've seen all these movies. Yeah. What if I just put them all into a Vitamix and then shit out whatever, com- you know, whatever I, I think the or really not even I think the studio wants and thinks will make, you know, some money on top of the budget. And also like. He's a big international guy that he sells the movies overseas pretty well. Yeah. And Statham, I know one of the reasons he's cast is that he's a big international draw for a lot of folks. Yeah. It's why he's in the Meg movies is because... The China stuff, yeah. yeah. he's so big in China that, like, they're like, well... <laughs> the... the uh Marine scientist. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Who's basically like a Jacques Cousteau type... But, I mean, then it turns into Jason Statham, and he's punching megalodons in the face, (laughs) which I enjoy. Don't get me wrong. But but there's an economy behind Statham, too, to where it's like he fits a certain bill. And the Paul W.S. Anderson movie, especially, like, in 2008, like, he's almost like the perfect guy to be in one of those. I just don't think that movie's good. No, and I'm, and it's one, of th- it's one of those things too that I'm not going to convince you otherwise. It's I tried to convince myself, like I watched it and was like, "This is bad." No. I don't understand why Martin likes this. No, it's just I, you, I like futuristic jail movies. I like this this dystopian kind of movies. I love um, psychotic futuristic game show stuff like this or Running Man. Sure. It's, again, you said pastiche. It's my favorite stew. Like, and I think it's like, it's gory. Like the action scenes I think are pretty well done. I like the design of all the cars. I like the look of the world. I think like Tyrese is cool. Is kind of like the anti-hero bad guy. Um, Joan Allen just eating all the fucking scenery as you know the the head of the the head of the jail. Ian McShane, like the cast in this movie is really fucking good. It's pretty good. insane, yeah. And and he's and he's doing that charming Ian McShane thing. He does in John Wick too, just bringing this like. Well, and it's post Deadwood. Yeah, post. Yeah, so everybody good. wanted him. Yeah, and he just he's kind of like a warm blanket. <laughs> he's like, I like that guy. Yeah, he's great. Thanks, Coach. <laughs> but this is still a weird like. It still feels like the time that. Statham was now kind of like a bankable star, but he's making all of these B movies. Yeah. And one of your picks, I feel like even though it's a big studio movie, sort of points to him as a brand. Like Statham was kind of like a a real throwback to like Jean-Claude Van Damme. Or Steven Seagal. Yeah. That, uh, or, that level of... Or like he was making these very low to mid-range kind of action movies, but that people all kind of signed up for a Jason Statham movie. I mean, like stuff like The Mechanic, the Charles Bronson uh, yep. remake, Blitz, which I don't know if you've ever seen. It's like kind of like a British cop movie. Yeah. It's not bad. Wild Card is in there, right? Killer Elite. The that movie is so horrible. Movie. It's horrible. I hate that movie with a, such a passion. What do you think about Parker? His, I did his not Donald like. Westlake. I think he's not bad. It's it's weird because that's another... We've, we haven't really talked about yet, but Statham is like Schwarzenegger, that you either ignore his accent or you reckon with it. But when you need Statham to play who is a classically American character, it can be a little bit weird. And Parker felt that way 
to me. But this is again like they don't they're trying to make him a, a movie star. Exactly. It reminds me a lot of like when you were in the nowhere to run days of Jean-Claude mm. Van Damme where it was like we're trying to bring him to the next level but we don't quite know how to break this guy. Yeah. Like Hard Target is the other one too, but at least that's a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. Yeah. You know, like nowhere to run. They're trying to have him do like more character stuff, yeah, more drama. Acting, yeah. All the stuff with uh, that's Patricia Arquette. Rosanna. Like, Rosanna Arquette, who's quite hot in that movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I mix my Arquettes up all the time. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you. There's one thing I'll never mix up. I paused that sex scene a lot on VHS. Maybe, maybe I did. Maybe I did. But Parker is more in league even though it has a bunch of action sequences in it it's more in league with stuff like the bank job where yeah. they're trying to get him to do character work it's that i also think it doesn't help that he's doing character work opposite jennifer lopez who after out of sight and everything they're also they and geely frankly they're they're also trying to figure out and failing how to make her a movie star. Again. Uh, again? <laughs> yeah. So it's like that movie's just kind of fucked from, from Jump Street. Now, the movie that I'm bringing up that kind of points to him as a brand that you picked is you picked Expendables 2, but really just him being involved in the Expendables franchise, period. It felt like a coronation of sorts of people, particularly Stallone, who's like one of the ultimate, you know, action icons being like that guy, he fits with what we're doing, you know, because you have Schwarzenegger showing up, you have Chuck Norris showing up, you have basically decades worth of action stardom collecting in what was supposed to be the ultimate, you know, action super group, and the Expendables just never quite gets there for me. Why did you pick Expendables two? I think it's easily the best of the the series. Um, I think one is a slow start. The obviously it was it was a you know Millennium and Lionsgate right um, right and I a mean, lot of the Statham stuff was Lionsgate and you could just see the the budget was a little thin on that one. Um, and I, I believe they gave them a significantly bigger budget after it did quite well for Expendables two. Um, Simon West directs the second one. So like the action's genuinely really fucking good. Like there's some really fun, like fight scenes, there's a really good opening, like a really long protracted opening, um, action scene. And Statham works with West a couple times because he worked with him before. Cause didn't, West also did the mechanic remake. Oh, oh, did he? Okay. Yeah, and then he also makes, speaking of another remake, the Burt Reynolds remake, uh, Wild Card, which yep. was Heat. Yep. Um, there's the thing about Expendables that I, I think your point about the coordination is interesting, but the way I always looked at it was, you know. They, you can fucking call it the has-beens, right? I mean, it, that's kind of the joke, right? Is Damn. Yeah, but you have... And you're going after your boy, Dolph, oh, too. But Yeah, but yeah, I mean, especially that... Actually, Dolph has done quite well since then. And kind of, you know, he's in fucking Aquaman, and he's he's really... And directing a lot more, so he's doing really well. Um, but that was kind of the joke. I mean, relatively well. Um, 
Um, the kind of Joker in that that film is definitely kind of like, all right, we're the has-beens that no one wants. We're the expendables, not just the characters, but as, as stars, right? Like, you don't need us anymore. Because the first one's even in the middle of that Mickey Rourke renaissance, too, where he has kind of the best scene. Oh, he's got a great... A really where good he does acting that fucking scene. Monologue in that, but that's the the scene that I remember most from the whole franchise, which is weird for something that's based around a bunch of buff, burly dudes who are mostly known for explosions. Is that it's a Mickey Rourke monologue? Well, it's in in Stallone. I know for the because Stallone directed the first one. Um, like he called on um, a lot of his friends too. I mean, obviously, Dolph for some people is um a lot of people is not a household name like he's not in the upper echelons right but people know him as Ivan Drago so it was kind of like okay cool that connection will bring him I, in I think Dolph is in the upper echelon I think because one of the things this is playing to is the VHS era yeah the, like the like red scorpion people era like yeah. you and I who grew up renting every action movie we we rent it it's actually a wonder that steven seagal is not well, i mean it's not a wonder that steven seagal is not in this because one <laughs> he's a huge piece of shit somebody would have gotten who would have smashed his fucking face and you know stallone's not getting along with seagal anytime soon but it's like it is a wonder that it he doesn't show up just from the the sheer fact that this is pointing towards the type of movies that he was known for too is that it's like Seagal, Van Damme, Dolph, Stallone even. like Because Stallone at this point had really fallen off from being like a marquee idol for the most point. Like he had Rocky Balboa yep. and everything. And then it was like a four-year period where he kind of just waffled. Yeah. He did like Avenging Angelo around then too. Oof. Like some straight-to-video shit. Get Carter. Yep. That was early 2000. That was like 2000. But I mean, yeah. that's but yeah, what yeah, talking yeah. about. It, that oh, that whole decade was pretty. Yeah. Detox. Remember that movie? Ooh. Um, I, I, I see like. you. I kind of do too. Yeah, that's the like, one with all the cops out, like the, the slasher. Arctic. That's really yeah. good. It's fun. I, I wouldn't go as far as it's to an say enjoyable it's really good movie. It's, it, the cast yeah, it's is a crazy. two and a half star fun. Yeah, I'll throw this on at ten o'clock at night with a beer. Yes, and probably fall asleep halfway through. Yeah. Um, but the Expendables, to your point about Dolph, is that. I do think he's upper echelon because I do think this is playing towards a very niche crowd of people yeah. who did rent shit like I mean it's for us. Red Scorpion or Silent Trigger, like any of those movies on VHS. No, that's fair. And I, I just for me I just want to be careful because Dolph's so important to me that I don't want to assume that everyone has the same like same relationship with him <laughs> that I do. You love I come in peace, of course you do. <laughs> Um, one of the one of the biggest regrets of my life was I was walking into this used book and video store in, in Atlanta, the Book Nook, one of my favorite places. And I'm I'm the Book Nook, uh, just amazing. And I'm passing this like really beautiful girl, and she's got a stack of VHSs, and she's she's just purchased, and she drops them, and one of them is I Come in Peace. She just bought I Come in Peace, and I helped her pick it up, and I was like, oh, good movie, and then. I walked inside and I think that like, there's that moment like that was probably going to be my wife. And I just, I just didn't say the right thing. I'll tell you who came in peace later. I, you no, nah, no, nah, I cried to myself to sleep, <laughs> but uh, no, but I, but I, I think the weird thing when I remember when, when Statham was announced for it too, he was supposed to represent like the new blood, right? I mean, he's the, the idea of like, this is the, 
here's, again, like you said, coronation, here's the modern version of these types of stars. Well, and he fights Scott Adkins in two. In two, yeah. Which and, is great. Well, and what's interesting is by part four, like, the newest one, which is, is really bad, um, it's a bad movie, but... Stallone, quote unquote, dies. His character, Barney, dies in like the first 10 minutes. You know, he's not really dead. And it's just Statham's movie. Like, even the other guys aren't really around. So it's just Jason Statham. They're like, well, we got him. Let's just put it. And so it's like, put your best foot forward. And so it's kind of a Statham movie for like 40 minutes. And then like Stallone shows up again. So I lied. Yeah, I lied. I'm actually I'm, back. I'm still alive. Of course, I was slow. But I mean, I mean, for me, the reason I picked, I think I just we had to talk about Expendables because like it's just so important to, like you said, making it very much known that this is our version of those stars that we grew up with. And that's why we're having this episode. For me, watching these films, it's like, especially just his more basic action films like Homefront. I'm like. Oh, we still that have... That was the next one I wanted to bring up because Stallone wrote that. Yeah, and so we, we still we still have... Like, I watch these films and it's just like, again, just feels good like like writing a movie with my dad like in 1996 and just sitting down and watching some stupid action movie on a Friday night and having mac and cheese. Homefront's like, one of the ultimate cable movies. It's really good. Yeah. Well, I hadn't seen it. It works really well. Oh, my theory on that one is that even though he was in a Burt Reynolds remake with Wildcard... Um, Homefront really is his Burt Reynolds movie. I mean, his right Southern down Fried. To, yeah, it's his Southern Fried exploitation movie that I guess was originally supposed to be a Rambo sequel. It doesn't make any fucking sense if you think about it. Well, it and I think of... also what that's what Stallone figured out too is that he's like, wait, Rambo's a DEA agent? I don't know. Well, and it's kind of the same setup though as, as Rambo, right? It's the idea of like, oh, it's a little bit of, of you know, stranger in a town. Sort it's of. the classic Western idea of the stranger in a town. Yeah. Who's not being run out by the cops so much? Has but by, a secret past. Yeah, who's being? Who's now? I like. I like the theme that you could tell Stallone had like really had really kind of um, kind drilled of attached to drilled down on was the idea of southern feuds. Yeah, like it's this cool. I, I think the idea that's like a really kind of compelling idea of like Statham's like I'm just going to apologize to these people that I offended. Like I don't want trouble. It's not and even him. It's, the whole yeah. movie kind of revolves around. The fact that his daughter beats up a bully at yep. school and she's like eight years old, ten years old or something. And this bully comes after her and she, you know, because her she dad was down. a former undercover DEA officer, puts this fat little ginger on his ass. And, of course, her messed out mom, played by fucking Kate Bosworth. Kate Bosworth she's great. People. She's really, really good in it escalates it into this like blood feud between her her cracked out husband and then Jason Statham and James and then, Franco her and brother then involves her brother meth dealer Gator Gator <sighs> and then Frank Grillo shows up yeah and Frank Grillo shows up as a biker like assassin at, in the last like, like third of the movie oh, yeah. and we haven't even mentioned Winona Ryder yet as it, like Gator's meth Wife, it's his meth wife, girlfriend. I don't think she's ever been hotter than in this movie. She's really, really hot for somebody who's on a lot of meth. Oh, like Kate Bosworth actually looks like she's on meth. She looks bad. Winona Ryder doesn't look like she's on meth. She just looks trashy and hot. It just reminds me of my hometown. Like it just feels, it feels really nice. Yeah. So thanks, Winona. The the type of girl that makes you want to take a shower afterwards. (laughs) 
<laughs> but uh, I mean, that movie is incredibly rewatchable. And Statham, to take it back to your point about his accent, they just don't address it. Nope. He just has an, a British accent, even though he's an undercover DEA officer who infiltrates a biker gang yeah. in the prologue. Um, they never, like, nobody at, at, at any point is like, hey, man, you're British. <laughs> he, he, he That's does, weird. He does, like, you can tell, though, that he will... Play like, it down. He'll play it down in certain movies and play... I mean, like, obviously, Snatch, like, go full Cockney, you know? And then and then in other films... Proper fucked. Yeah, is they'll, you know, they'll really tamp it down and be like, all right, like, just... Don't do anything heavy, but he's also not doing like you and McGregor and Black Hawk Down, who just sounds like a fucking child. I'm American. I'm American. Hi, yeah, hell, hell yeah, sir. I'm making coffee. Sir, I can't wait to report to the United States <laughs> Army. Hello, fellow kids. Yeah. Do you have any rocket launchers? <laughs> No, I'm not the guy from Train Spotting. <laughs> and it's funny his accent hasn't gotten any better between that and Doctor Sleep. Like I like Doctor Sleep, but like Ewan's his accent still sucks. You Do know? you think his accent in the Star Wars movie is good? It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad somebody else like his Obi Wan Kenobi because he's doing Alec Guinness in a sort weird of. way. Yeah, because his because he's Scottish and he's trying to do upper crust upper crust English. Right? What if he did his American accent as Obi Wan Kenobi? Oh, oh hell yeah! Oh, oh, oh damn good! I'm, you got, not, not, too, not too fine, not too coarse. You can't go to the dark side, Anakin. <laughs> you have to use your American lightsaber. <laughs> There's also the what's the 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 fourth guy from Transpiding? He's in Black Hawk Down as well. The, oh, the, 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 you the, and Bremner? Uh, yeah, yeah, because he plays the one who gets his Spud. ears blown out. Spud. Yeah, yeah. And he's he's got a better accent than, and he might be the best part. He also is in a uh, snatch. That's right. For a oh, scene. He, well, he he's gets, the one who Vinnie Jones, yep. you know, sticks his head in the window. Yep, he's great though. Yeah, he's actually might be the best. This is a total tangent, <laughs> but he might be the best part of Train Spotting Two. I don't know if you I saw. Didn't, I didn't see it. No, Dude, Train Spotting Two, borderline masterpiece. Wow, like totally unnecessary movie that turns out to be like a total like. Oh yeah, atom bomb. You should definitely watch it. Oh, cool. I think you'd love it. But since we're on the topic of British, let's get to the movie of the hour, yeah. Redemption, 2013, from Stephen Knight, who at this point is mostly known for making Dirty Pretty Things. Yeah, or just writing it. Yeah, yeah, because he he wrote it and Stephen Frears directed it, and then he wrote Eastern Promises for David Cronenberg, and he writes and directs this movie. Yeah. And it's, I think I still, I rewatched it today. I think this is Statham's best performance. I think it's the best movie he's ever been in. And I just think it's a stone cold masterpiece. And it's like also sort of the Rosetta Stone for figuring out Stephen Knight as a filmmaker. Yeah. No, I hadn't seen it until doing it for the podcast. So I watched it over the weekend. Um, and you'd never seen it. I'd never seen it. Man. Which is weird because I like and I love Stephen Knight. Um, I mean, I think Each Promise is great. I think Dirty Pretty Things is just fantastic. Um, from, I didn't I haven't seen all Peaky Blinders, but that I love Taboo um, and Lock. Lock's amazing. But he, this film is really, I was surprised because 
you know, from the outside, I'm like, oh, is this going to be? I mean, I knew the I knew the plot of this guy kind of um, on the run, falling into a rich man's apartment, basically, and then basically pretending to be him while he's out of town. Like that's your basic setup, and then it becomes almost like art house transporter. Yeah, and that's the thing is it it's it's a Statham movie. It's it, it's like an artsy, but it's like. In the middle. In the middle. But it's an artsy version of a Statham movie where you have a longer setup. Like, you've, I mean, because a lot of these films, too, like, he is, the, I mean, like, it's not too far off from safe. Yeah. You know, this guy that was going to be the thing this that guy, I it's a very it's similar art house safe than it's anything. It's really similar of a person who is trying, you know, but, but like a lot of his characters, no matter how dirty he is on the outside, he's got a good heart, right? It's the classic, you know, hero's, hero's the journey. The brawler with the heart of gold. Yeah. And, and he, I loved, I mean, again, I love Stephen Knights. I loved his view of like the underworld of London and just this guy kind of moving in and out of it. Um, and, and just, I liked the theme of kind of weirdly reminding me of, of just some of the sub themes of like, of uh, killers, of the flower moon is like, can you be part of an evil enterprise without losing, becoming evil yourself? Like the idea that Leo thinks that he's somehow different than his uncle. Like, I feel like Statham's character very much feels like, Oh, I'm doing this to help people out. Like I'm doing this to help people. Well, in the end, I'm still helping human traffickers, you know, like until the end when it kind of gets resolved. But like the, the fact that his moral compass, the nun is constantly saying like, no, you don't get a free ride on this. Well, I think it's also about because the part that we've kind of left out is that he was an ex special forces guy who's basically part of an atrocious war crime that he commits where he ends up. And I guess spoilers for those of you who haven't seen redemption, but it turns out that, you know, his convoy was attacked while he was over in the middle East, I believe Afghanistan, um, Killed, five of his five men friends, were killed, yeah. and his, as he puts it, they took five of mine, so I took five of theirs. He basically goes in and kills a family. Yeah. Hangs the dad, kills everybody else in sight, and loses his soul in the process. Like, he just kind of snaps. And he gets to London, and he uh, becomes essentially a homeless guy and a crack addict, and he's living on the streets. And then, yeah, like you said, he stumbles into a rich man's apartment after a run-in with essentially like these hooligans who are like shaking people down like for Dickens drugs. Like Dickens characters, yeah. And, well, that's yeah. what I was going to say is that like Stephen Knight, his best work are like these Dickensian crime movies. Dirty Pretty Things is one of the, the better examples. And Eastern Promises even oh, yeah. shows you all of the levels of power from yeah. – you know, a prostitute who's under the grip of of Russian pimps and gangsters to like these police chiefs and like the halls of power that are trying to infiltrate these Russian gangsters. Um, Stephen Knight obviously grew up with classic British literature and is just updating it for like modern genre filmmaking. Um but the thing that I, I was really drawn to this time when watching it is that he takes Statham and you kind of see – because Tom Hardy later becomes like his guy with stuff like Locke. He plays you know the Jewish gangster in Peaky Blinders, as you pointed out to me off mic. And like he likes a very particular type 
of like rough and tumble actor. And it becomes, you know, Statham is almost like his prototype in a weird way as a director in that he sees this guy who can do all the action because there are moments in this where it just breaks out and becomes like a Statham martial arts movie where he fucks people up. And Knight actually acquits himself rather well at filming Mm -hmm. these uh, moments. But he sees in Statham's eyes the thing that makes Statham such a good actor is that he has these like almost very for a hard man he has very soft expressive brown eyes and he lets Statham use them and become a character and climb the ranks of power but also like it becomes about how these systems hold people down like dirty pretty things is all about these the lowest level of workers, you know, one in a laundry, one who essentially Chitwell Eshia Ford does like a hotel work jobs and hotel work and stuff. And how like, there's always some kind of power trying to keep these people down. Redemption or hummingbird, as it was known in the UK does the same thing is that it's about a guy who kills for the system. It takes his soul. He comes back and he tries to reclaim it. But even in reclaiming it, he sells it back again. And he just, he loses it to the criminal underworld as opposed to just using it for service for the U.S. military. I mean, Eastern Promise is almost that in text. Yeah. Is that it's about, you know, Viggo Mortensen's cop going undercover and like the final shot of that movie. And you can see why Cronenberg was so attracted to it is that it's big. It, it's like it's literally taking body horror and taking all the goop and latex and stuff out of it. And it's playing with his ideas of identity mm-hmm. that he's been obsessed with since like uh, Dead Ringers and History of Violence and stuff yeah. because it plays as like the companion piece to History of Violence with his, his collaborations with Vigo is that it's about at what point, how long can you be another person without losing the soul of the person that you were completely and just giving into the ranks of power and like the systems that kind of steamroll you in the process. Like hummingbird does the same thing. Yeah. And, and also I I like it. I I love that reading of it. And there's also with, with um, redemption, the idea that um, almost in a weird way, like, uh, like the movie Big, I know it's a weird example, but that at a certain point you got to go back to the person you were. Um, and he says, when I'm sober, I do horrible things. And the man I've been with you and the man I've been in this dress up world and you, you played dress up this nun. I, you know, you had an opportunity to put on the red dress, have sex with me, go to the go to see the ballet you've always wanted to go to. We've both been playing parts, but the the kind of tragic nature of he's like, for the sake of not just me, but of everyone, I have to basically go back to the street. I have to start drinking again and forget because when I'm sober, I'm violent. And because he, he's basically like, he's a machine. They, at least they made me into a machine and I don't want to be that. The only way to dole that and it's PTSD, but also it's like, he's a violent person now. I don't want to be that way. So, and then of course this, the, you know, spoiler, but at the end we're supposed to believe he's probably being killed in the street by, the military who's finally found him because he's kind of been on the run. Well, that's the, that's what I interpreted. So here, here's my question to you is that, is that real or is that in his head? I think it's real. 
I don't think so because if you notice, I, and I've watched this movie. Yeah, many I've only seen it once. So have. yeah, I've, I've seen it five or six times at this point. And if you notice, any time he comes under any kind of duress, you suddenly hear the birds and the well, that's that's in his head. Yeah, is where, but. What they call the choppers. The hummingbird drone. The hummingbird drones and stuff yeah. that are watching him is that I think it's imagined. Mm. I think is that the stress and the, like the hummingbird represents that like this guy's going to like live with PTSD as long as he's on the planet. And he's always going to imagine that somebody's watching. Because think about it. Like they're not hunting him. Why yeah. would they? He's just one AWOL soldier. Yeah. They're not coming to London to look for this one fucking guy. This is all just, it, it's in his head. It's, it's, it's the, the stress and the trauma to pull like the buzzword of the day out is that that's what he lives with every day because he cannot escape what they created. And again, it comes back to like, he was a machine in, in the cogs of kind of like power, the greater, mechanisms of power made him into this weapon and being a weapon means he has to if he if he doesn't drink the birds are always there and the drones are always there looking for him mm, that's interesting yeah yeah because to me it just felt i knew the birds were fake but with the the drone there was that sense of just like the ending makes it feel like they're like, oh, we're we're con- we're coming around the corner to confront him on the street, you know. The, 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 I what, think that's what... how he always feels. Okay, yeah, it's more his mental state is like, it's why he he can't stop moving. It's why he can't have a normal life is that he's always looking over his shoulder, thinking. Because he even says it at one point as he goes, "I just ran, but I'm just a soldier. Like I'm just a guy." Yeah, you know. But it's also like. One of the key things about Knight's movies is that it's about people who form these relationships, usually a man and a woman, and it's not necessarily romantic. It always flirts around yeah. being Like romantic. Vigo and Naomi. Yeah. Vigo and Naomi watches Nurse in Eastern Promises. Um, Audrey Tattoo. Chidwell, and, yeah. Four, and Audrey Tattoo. I mean, even uh, Locke, even though it's a, basically a one-man play in a car – it's about a man and a woman. It's yeah. about a man, you know, going across town to deal with, you know, an well, abortion. Well, no, he's he's going to therapy for the birth of his child, the woman he cheated. That's with. it. Yeah, yeah, and it's but again, a woman he's not going to marry, but he's like, I just have to be there. Yeah, you know, it's this weird sense of of duty, masculine yeah. honor and duty, which yeah. is another thing that that uh, Knight is obsessed with is that like in in Redemption, in Eastern Promises. In Locke, it's about these guys who live by this very brusque, manly code, almost like Michael Mannish code that they implement and impose upon themselves that becomes a prison that they can't escape. Yeah. But the thing about Redemption that I love the most is how it looks. Oh, my God. That that night world of, of London. All of the neon... Those like wide angle fights, that whole uh, like knights obsessed with prostitution in the yeah. underworld. Like it pops up in Dirty Pretty Things. It obviously pops up in the Eastern Promises, and it pops up here too about women getting sold into sex slavery and then having to encounter violent, gnarly men. Yeah, 
And that final confrontation when he hunts down the guy that kills, you know, the girl that he was best friends with on the streets, it's shot in such a way that it's so fucking gorgeous. I was throwing him off the fucking building. Oh, my God. (laughs) But, I mean, that's – it's the ultimate – I guess, again, not to spoil this movie for anybody who hasn't seen it, but it's like the ultimate representation of of Knight's – like it's a literalization of his Dickensian fascinations. He literally looks at the guys and goes, you spent so much time up here. Now you need to feel like what it's like down there, and I'm going to show you. And by doing that, he just throws them off the side of a building. Well, and, and again, I mean, we're talking Statham, and it's it's Statham at his best. I mean, and I like your that his eyes, I mean, he really, it kind of, I mean, weirdly to bring it back to Stallone, it reminds me of Stallone in Copland, you know, yeah. it's, it's this similar thing of a director saying, I think there's a lot more there we could pull out. And a lot of it's just in silence. It's not even about what they're saying. It's just these, like, they're such movie stars and, and, and also Stallone, very expressive eyes, you know? And so both of them, I think it's a similar type of, you know, not playing their normal kind of uh, action hero character. Oh, to- or at least re. I think in definitely this re- reimagining. Like, yeah, yeah, repackaging it for a different type of movie. Because yeah. like where I disagree with you is that I don't think it's a Jason Statham movie. I think it's a Stephen Knight movie that he just works Jason Statham into. He finds a way to be like, how do you fit? Well, but what's weird though is again, there's. If if you're cool to talk about Safe, which is like, I think the same year, yes, or, or 2012, but the, I mean again, a very very similar movie about Statham works well as this man from the streets, a man with a past who becomes homeless, who then has a reason to change. You know, put it's, it's a really classic. It's a kind of classic Western trope. It's it's fucking. Um, uh, uh, Dean Martin in Rio Bravo, you know, without the kid, but the dr- the drunk who finally decides to be a hero again and put on the badge, put on the 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 clothes and his six shooters again. So for me, I think that's that's why I like Redemption so much is I don't think Stephen Knight was doing it on purpose, but it still matches up with a lot of what Statham has done in other movies, plot points, character points, um, just like the narrative thrust of those movies, obviously with a much more artistic and dramatic bent. And then Statham abandons this type of movie completely with one of your picks, which I think was one of the most astute picks in the entire list that we put together, Furious 7. I mean, technically, Fast 6 with his his cameo at the end of that movie where he appears as Deckard Shaw for the first time. But I mean, like, Furious 7 is when he becomes the big heavy in those movies and joins the fast and the furious franchise. And frankly, it's a complete level up for him because kind of to the point of where we're talking about with the expendables. And I didn't actually think about this until right now, even though we were talking a little bit about it off mic while we were watching furious seven together is that where the expendables is coronating him for a niche audience of action fans. Furious seven is literally bringing him into the widest audience possible and saying, you know, Jason Statham, you know what he does now go make $300 million off of that. And that feels like such a next level kind of move for his career, because you talked about 
uh, seeing, you know, the sixth movie in uh, theaters and how when he shows up in the stinger, it's like the whole we all lost our minds like roared and was like, ah, and then for him to be the big bad in Furious Seven as Deckard Shaw, like people signed up for that because they were like, oh, shit. Vin Diesel and The Rock and Paul Walker, rest I, rest in peace, dude died. Um, like they but are also all taking on Statham now. Yeah, it was, um, and we've had this conversation multiple times, you know. But my friend Danik had made the point, which I was stolen of, you know, it, Fast and the Furious is a wrestling. It's a wrestling series. I mean, obviously right. The Rock is a wrestler, but Statham comes in and he's he's the he's new, the Undertaker. He's the, he's the new heel yeah. that everyone knows, or he's from. A, he, but it's like he shows up. It's like, oh my god, and he's just there to be Statham. Like that's all Deckard Shaw is. Like there's no nuance, to which that is a character. formula that they've actually kind of repeated since then. Yeah. With bringing John Cena, Momoa, in, drink, bringing Jason Momoa in, they bring in these guys who you know their personas. I mean, in the case Idris of John Elba Cena, in in, um, in Hobbs and Shaw, exactly Same Idris thing. Elba. Like, but in the case of like John Cena, they brought a literal a literal wrestler in to be. Dom's forgotten brother? Yeah, it's Jacob Toretto. Yeah. yeah. Like, it doesn't make any sense, but it is. It's pure WWE storytelling where it's like, you know, characters die. They're brought back to life. They have secret pasts, secret family members. Those family members... Amnesia. Become, there's amnesia. <laughs> Those family members then become good guys. And then there's other family members or like the uh, family members of past vi- like villains who they killed yeah like in the case of like jason momoa and fast x they come back even though they were never mentioned once but it's like it doesn't matter because you don't give a fuck about them as characters you give a fuck about them as movie stars or as brands where and people when jason statham shows up as deckard shaw he's still the finest example of this in the entire series you show up because you're like oh fuck at some point, Jason Statham's either going to fight Vin Diesel or The Rock or both. And he does. Yeah, and he does in spectacularly cartoonish fashion. That opening fight scene in Fast 7, and we were With watching him it. him and The Rock. Oh, my is God. so fucking cool. And it's like everything you could hope for. I mean, Dude, his character intro in, in, in uh, Furious 7 is like amazing. Yeah, because you, you, for those of you who haven't seen it, and if you haven't, I highly recommend watching all of the movies. Um, definitely through seven. Um, but it starts out and he's in his brother, Luke Evans, who is the villain, um, Owen Shaw of the previous film, uh, number six. And it's this like tighter shot and you follow Statham out, (laughs) out of the hospital room. And as the camera kind of like dollies out and you realize that he has fought his way into this government medical facility and killed what looks like hundreds of SWAT team members. And it's he's him. He's the boogeyman. He's in he yeah, and that's a joke we kept making is he's fucking Michael Myers, man. Like it's a the script is ridiculous. Like he'll dis okay, they're trying to find the God's eye, which is this technology that can find anyone anywhere because they want to find Deckard Shaw. 
The thing is, he keeps showing up anyway. So they don't need the fucking God's eye. They just need to sit there and wait. And just wait for wait Decker, Decker, Decker to show, show up with it's a machine gun and fight them. Ridiculous. He'll walk in anywhere. And they're like, they're like, cool, we're in a fucking skyscraper in Abu Dhabi trying to steal this fucking drive from inside the supercar. And then... Out of the elevator carrying a big fucking machine gun. It's fucking Jason Statham, baby. It's insane. And then isn't it the next movie that he becomes a good guy? So yeah, in what you were saying earlier, like and I, I I love the Fast and Furious series because it is like so far from reality. Because Fate of the Furious is that's the F. Gary Gray one, right? Yes. And well he Yeah, and that's ridiculous because um you can just stop there. <laughs> well, the whole the whole joke of like the series is every villain becomes a, if they don't die they become a hero in the next movie. Every well, again, time it's the wrestler, it's, it's the yeah. heel turn, and it's in and they they kind of played against it in the tenth one with a guy who doesn't. They're like, oh, he's good, and it went the other way, um, which I thought was pretty funny because like you expect it. But in number eight, yeah, he's in um, he's in jail. And the Rock hat is also put in the same like high security prison. There's a there's a breakout and there's this awesome scene of The Rock and Jason Statham during a fucking prison riot, and they're it's just the best scene in the it's movie. It's really fucking cool. Um, and then ridiculously, he and his brother, who tried to kill these guys on numerous occasions, save Dom's baby. Uh, and their mom is Helen Mirren. Is that the one on the airplane? On the airplane, yeah. Because they Which have is a pretty great because it's just Jason Statham <laughs> saving a, like a baby in a basket. He's got yeah. He's like he's basically doing the scene from Hard Boiled, right? It is the same. Where he's a cookie coochie coochie coo. It's fucking hilarious dude and and then Hobbs and Shaw which is a giant piece of shit um, <laughs> a steaming pile of shit we don't recognize we do, that as I, canon it's not canon um, but even in that like Statham is like The Rock actually is the worst part of that movie because they let him it sucks it's all this stuff with him going to uh, the Maori stuff oh, it's just it's, but it's also during the height of like Post Me Too, post Black Lives Matter, like representation first. Because wasn't that a COVID movie? No, it was before. It was, it, tw- right it was like before? 2019. Okay, so it's before Black Lives Matter. And it Matter, was David really. Leach, too, who's. Ugh. Maybe we harmonized our, our groan. <laughs> the, the lesser of the, the John Wick partners. It, it's become quite clear. Yeah, yeah, who had the real talent behind yeah. that. It's like, oh, okay. Deadpool 2 and Bullet Train. Chad uh, Seleski, who did uh, all of the uh, action choreography for Safe. It was... It worked with Statham quite a few times. It was so funny when you text. I was like watching Safe, and I'm like, man, why is the action so good? Because it was like... (laughs) But it was... Because like, you watch Lies in a Row, you're kind of like, all right, some of the the fight scenes are like... Or some of the gunfights or whatever. And I was like, man, like, even the sound design is cool. Like... Safe fucking shreds, It's really good. Safe reminded me of like a better version of 16 Blocks. Oh, that's a good... Yeah. You know? Like that kind of one day... Or or Die Hard with with a Vengeance kind of thing. But it's another like lone wolf and cub type riff where it's like he has to save a kid. One day. Get him from one place to the next. Yeah, it all takes place in one day but like man there's that one casino fight in that that's fucking awesome there's also a great casino fight in wild wild card okay like have you ever seen that one not no wild card even though it wasn't on our list i'm not gonna lie that was my number six oh wow that was the one that i wanted to put on there because it's a straight adaptation of the william goldman novel uses the same exact script that william goldman wrote for the original burt reynolds movie that's cool um, I have that book upstairs. I have Heat. 
And I read the book. <laughs> it just what Simon West does because he's worked with Statham a couple of times and obviously knows like what a Jason Statham movie is supposed to be for the audience. He just throws in a little extra action flair and there's a good casino fight in that movie too. I think you'd like it a bunch. Cool. It's, it's easy. It's like 90 minutes. It's more Statham doing character stuff kind of like Homefront, but he's also – he's mechs. Although they dropped the whole like Burt Reynolds plays a Mexican. Okay. He, you know, because obviously Statham, he's not pulling that off. No. You know, I mean, there would have to be a he ton did, he of did, bronze. He was involved. Obama in Spy. So, <laughs> you know. it, it, it has the best Melissa McCarthy line. Since I know you haven't seen Spy, I guess spoilers for it, where he says the Obama thing. He's like, I appeared during an assassination attempt. I appeared before Congress as Barack Obama. She goes, in blackface? That's highly inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> but movies like Safe were left kind of in the dust as soon as he did the Fast and the Furious franchise. Because one of your other picks, the Meg 2. Yeah. Which I'm also curious because I like Meg 2. Yeah. Um, I like the Meg. I guess what I found curious about your inclusion of them on this list is that they, they're they not Statham movies to me. They're big budget like animal attack shark movies, which we obviously love and have done a whole episode on. That's like what it is to me as opposed to a Jason Statham movie. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and, and for me, I mean, I guess my idea for this episode, they were a little bit different was that I wanted to show a representation of all the types of Statham movies. Right. So we have these more B movies that are kind of just like pot boilers, like, like safe. Right. And for me, if we're talking about eras of his career too, I mean like Meg and Meg two are, you know, to your point earlier, he's a superstar, international superstar, and he's doing a completely different type of character. He's doing this like in a, in a but in safe, he's dealing with a little girl, but it's kind of real. It's kind of like well-written and good. And like in Meg, it's this ridiculous broad thing. It's supposed to be basically no matter, no matter what you're translating it for any, any culture can understand the kind of broad relationship that they have. It reminds me of the way characters are sketched in those big budget, like stuff like the wandering earth. Yeah. Like no, those same big thing. budget Chinese, exactly. Somewhat propaganda type mm. movies that are nothing but spectacle and like sweep the Chinese box office. But if you actually watch them, uh, the characters are drawn in the broadest terms possible, yeah. but that feels like how he, Oh yeah. He's drawing this character too, is that it's like, play it to the, to the, the cheap sheets, play it to literally so like somebody who doesn't speak the language that you're even speaking yeah. totally gets. That's what I'm what getting at. It's, it's completely beyond beyond translation, right? I mean, right. even on fucking silent, you know what's happening. In the, they're very visual, you yeah. know, too. But I mean, honestly, you think about his performance though in the Expendables movies too, and though the humor of those films are all dad jokes. Right. And all the humor is really fucking lame. You know, it's like even Statham stuff. It's just like it's him busting balls with Stallone and none of it lands like it's not funny or even halfway cool. You got a real salami on you. It's, yeah. Well, <laughs> shit like that where it's like Stallone actually pulls out a salami. <laughs> it just shows his dicks to each other. But like there's a scene where he's just like after he gets beat up Stallone and, and Statham turns and goes. You know, from one friend to another, 
you really got to learn how to fight. And everyone's like, ha, 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 ha. I'm like, that's not funny. It's not a good joke. But it's just that kind of like full broad, you know, for, for again, for the cheap seats for any kind of audience, especially an older audience too. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. But if you look at his filmography from Furious 7 on, he only makes one between 2015, and we're not counting Spy, which is also 2015. He makes one, two, two, three movies that aren't involved with either the Fast and the Furious, Meg, or Expendables franchise. Wow. Uh, because he, and the only two that he makes are two Guy Ritchie movies in the same year. Twenty well, not even well. I guess they both were. I think supposed to come out in twenty twenty one because you have Wrath of Man, yeah, and then you have Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre. That was pushed back considerably, which was pushed back. I thought it was supposed to be twenty one too because that got yeah. caught up in the STX exactly uh, liquidation and, and disaster that that company and it became. came out twenty twenty three instead. Yeah. yeah, it was a huge hit because it was like one of the first big like kind of post. You know, uh, post-COVID 2023 sort of movies where I remember people being like, movie theaters are back. And I'm like, no, there's just nothing in them. <laughs> so they're like, I guess we'll go watch this Guy Ritchie movie with Jason Statham and Aubrey Plaza of all fucking people. But it's like, yeah, the the next movie that he makes that isn't involved with the franchise is the one we're going to talk about next with The Beekeeper. Wow. But before we get there, I do want to hit on one movie. Wrath of Man. Oh my which God. Here is my hot take. This is Guy Ritchie's best movie. And I think it's Guy Ritchie's best movie in like a walk. Like it's because it's so fucking different from everything else that he's kind of ever made for his entire career. All of the kind of like wisecracking. It has that kind of juvenile testosterone and machismo it's intact but it's just kind of alchemated in a different way or, or uh it, it doesn't have all the wisecracking cockney bullshit like this is a hard boiled crime movie a lot along the lines of if i'm being Den honest thieves. Den of thieves i i, I was a okay, baby i was so you watched it before i did i hadn't seen it till this weekend and you're like oh my god wrath of man and then I was I think like, that was my actual text. Yeah, no, you, you're like, you go, Jesus Christ, Wrath of Man. And then I was watching it. I'm like, an, I'm like 40 minutes in. I'm like, oh, this is a Jacob movie. Like, this is like, <laughs> it was, it, no, but it was, I was watching it and I, and I loved it. I adored this movie, but I was also like, this is such your, like, and all the things you like, but it's grim, violent. Unrelenting. It's about almost it's, has no sense of humor. Well, it's but it's a whole. I mean, just the plot stuff of like these streets, these street cops, these or you know this. Yeah, this, it's in that underworld. That kind of you know again, not far off from a Michael Mann world. A very more, I think, a little bit more um, exaggerated. Yeah, um, I mean, dude, it has Andy Garcia as a cop saying, "Let the painter paint." Dude, there's um, the so there's there the scene that just. Absolutely, I think is one of the best things he's done, and it's not my favorite Richie movie. I still like a lot of his stuff. Um, I do not, yeah, and I know you don't. So, yeah, for, I'm, I'm on the record. Uh, I think on this podcast numerous times. I know, saying, fuck you, guy Richie. I don't like your movies. No, and I get it. Um, but he, 
Um, and I and I like him, but you've always thought that my distaste has been a little extreme. Yeah, yeah, but like, but this movie though, it does feel like no other Richie film in a lot of ways. But there's one scene in particular, and it's when they finally break into the depot, and there's this gunfight in the Dude. depot. I is it's the best scene he's ever done. It's so it's, violent. It's the, it, because they're all wearing this like high tech body armor, and you're, it's it's like. There's those scenes in John Wick, especially the thing is the end of part three where like there's the guys with armor and John Wick has to get close and shoot them through the eye holes. Oh, when it's like him and Lance Reddick yeah, defending in the Intercontinental. Yeah. yeah. In the Continental, sorry. Um and but this, why why I love John Wick, it's a very different type of action. This was this amazing, like the the pacing of the gunfight, the sound of the guns, like it's one of the best gunfight scenes I've seen in a very very long time. He's going for the heat. Oh, but like, even kind of level it of deafening, hyper realized, like hyper realistic, but also very with these, violent, but futuristic like tech at the same yeah. time. Like it's kind of comic booky. The design is fucking awesome. Oh my god! And, and also and- the cast on this movie again to take it back to Richie's trademarks: Holt McCallany, Josh Hartnett. Jeffrey who's Donovan, great in this. Andy Garcia, Scott Eastwood, who's actually really good in it. I usually don't like good him. In anything. Um, uh, Laz Alonso is really good in oh, it. Oh yeah, as, as always. Um, it's just a tremendous. The for me of all, isn't Eddie Marzon in it too? Yeah, isn't he's he really good. Manager? Yeah, like of all the movies that we watched, this was the biggest discovery for me. Because I was just like, I, I threw it on. I literally was like, okay, we'll watch these Statham movies. I still haven't gone to, I, I haven't gotten to Operation Fortune yet. I don't think I'm going to. Yeah, um, I'm going to do it. That seems more in the line with the Richie I don't like. Yeah. Um, but this was the first one I threw on because I know Brandon, our buddy in Pittsburgh, is uh, a huge fan of this movie. I was like, oh, you know what? I'll give Wrath of Man a shot. It's a very Brandon movie, too. Exactly. <laughs> it's just hyper-masculine, super violent, and just yeah. brings the goods, man. Like, this movie fucking rules. But now we should talk about another movie that rules maybe even harder, and that's The Beekeeper. Indeed. You ready? Let's do it. Let's protect the hive. <laughs> We're back talking about the beekeeper, Jason Statham's latest foray into punching literally everyone in the face. Yes. Martin, what'd you think? I was super fun. Super, super fun. I get the distinct feeling though that you did not enjoy this as much as I did. I didn't. And I and your enthusiasm was muted. Yeah, because well, you texted me after you're like, you knew I was seeing it, you were at work. And you're like it's been a long time since the keeping of the bees, and you've texted me nothing. And I'm like, well, um, no, I, I, to be honest, you built it up so high. Like, for, for our listeners, Jacob said, he brought up the night comes for us. And I stand behind it. I know, but. Fuck face. But 
it's so far from that in terms of the I violence. I didn't mean in fucking I, quality. I know, I know, but it just put my brain in a thing. But I still, I liked, I liked the movie. I like. Here's where that comment setup. came from. I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, everybody is calling it a John Wick knockoff, which I, yeah, and I, I think I, I agree. is the it's boring not, yeah. analysis of this movie. And to me, it feels more like the night comes for us in that it's structured with all of these like like plot barely matters and it exists in this heightened fantasy world kind of like the night comes for us which has like all that stuff about the golden triangle and these like evil gangsters that descend upon this one dude who again kind of like safe is escorting this one child in a lone wolf and cub sort of fashion and has to fight Basically a series of like mini bosses from like those butchers to the twin like women assassins to that whole like high rise full of like evil like drug dealer henchmen. Yeah. Um, the machete like, people. Yeah. They're, they're all different. And they're all defined in a very distinct way. Even Eco Yue has his own sort of like character to it. Um, that's what the beekeeper felt like to me is that it was just kind of like. Jason Statham is a beekeeper and he's hanging out with Cosby mom and Cosby mom gets taken by all of these, these fucking horrible frat bro douchebags who are doing like fishing scams to like old people and they take all of her money. She kills herself. In like the first five minutes. This, it's, it's quick. Dude, this movie is paced. It, yeah. Like it's relentless. She dies like five minutes in and he's just like, I'm going rogue and killing everybody. And like her her daughter is the FBI agent investigating her murder. And Jason Statham more or less looks at her daughter and goes, I'm going to fuck these people up. And her daughter's like, you better not. And he's like. You can't tell me shit. And then he goes and proceeds to just kill everyone. Like, indiscriminately. Yeah. He fucks so many people up in this movie. It's insane. And it's like one of the most amoral American action movies I've ever seen in my life. Because he fucks up cops. He fucks up gangsters. Secret service. He fucks up (laughs) secret service. He throws, you know douchey tech bro types like he cuts their fingers off and then like throws them off of bridges like it's everything you could ever want but then in the meantime they dispatch like we find out that like he's part of some secret government program called the beekeepers that they protect the hive they protect the hive okay and here's the other thing well i want to get to that next is none of the other beekeepers talk in bee metaphors but Jason Statham is just always talking about he's, he chugs uh, orange juice. He makes honey. He talks like about protecting the hive and how there's like a queen killer or something. I don't know. I lost track because it's to take it back to the night comes for us. It's like plot is meaningless in this movie. It's just literally an excuse to unleash Jason Statham, and then he encounters, kind of like The Night Comes for Us, a series of mini-bosses. There's, like, psycho neon Gatling gun girl <laughs> yeah. at the gas station. Who's the, who's the new beekeeper? She's the new beekeeper. She hasn't mentioned bees once. She doesn't even have any honey. I don't understand. And, like, he kills her, like, 20 minutes in, and 
the way they put her in the preview, I thought she was going to be like one of the big bads. And I was like, oh shit, this is what we're doing, huh? And then he proceeds to just fight more people. There's the one like crazy ass like SWAT dude who oh, has the weird yeah. accent. I don't know what was the mustache. Yeah, I don't know what was going on with that guy. He sounds like he was just chugging peanut butter for the last hour like he can't deliver any of his lines correctly and then there's the weird maori dude with the mutton chops no no fucking south african is he south yeah he looks like wolverine he (laughs) yeah but he looks like taika waititi's wolverine he's dude it's insane and all his buddies he brings in are these like like uh neon clad like comic book but that's what i'm saying yeah and if you think about it I didn't want to put this on Letterboxd, and I guess earmuffs for those of you who have not seen The Beekeeper, but I don't know why you would be listening to this segment if you hadn't. This movie has the same ending as Black Dynamite, but it's played completely straight. Instead of Black Dynamite fighting Richard Nixon, this literally ends with Jason Statham trying to kill the fucking president because her son is basically like an Eric Trump-style douchebag. Dude. Played by Josh Hutcherson. Played by Josh Hutcherson, who's just drinking oat milk, like oat milk lattes and then doing lines off of the president's desk. Look, man, I don't mean to be critical, but I'm going to be. What the fuck else do you want from a movie? No, I, I really, I had a good time. I just think, honestly, you built, in my mind, I had something else. You built it up. Because I know you're, I know you, you're like, you said night comes for us in a different way. Night Comes for Us is one of those movies that blew my brain out the back of my head. And it's it's the hard boiled uh, to John Wick 2's The Killer. Yeah. Like it's it's the one two of the greatest action movies of like our yeah. new kind of generation like that future people who 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 go on to make action movies they're going to cite John Wick 2 or whichever John Wick franchise entry. For me, it's always going to be number two. And they're going to cite The Night Comes for Us in the same way that, like, Chad Stahelski and stuff cite Hard Boiled and The Killer as being, like, their primary influence. I I see what you're getting at. Yeah. But, like... No. What? I mean, come on. This movie fucking rules. No, it's, it is very good. I don't know what you want from me. Cause it no. also has Jeremy Irons <laughs> just showing up to like deliver exposition and he keeps one of my favorite parts of this fucking movie is when after he kills the new beekeeper jeremy irons gets a phone call and they're like hey man the rest of the beekeepers reconvened and they just decided we're sitting this one out <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's mini drivers like we're not we're not helping anymore. oh that's the other thing too. yeah mini driver shows up like for three scenes which also prompted the question and you know what i'm gonna throw this to you because i did think about this do you think Minnie Driver absconded from this production at any point? Because it feels like she shot three scenes and it was just kind of like, I'm out. Is there a kill clause in my contract? I don't really want to be part of this anymore. Yeah, I. it's weird. When, in the film, like, and, and I, yeah, I really did. I really enjoyed watching this. And the audience was, we were packed. It was a cold day. It was Sunday and at Alamo. And it was literally like 80% full. On a, like a three o'clock screening. Good. So it was great. And it's, it's it was doing, the number one movie at the box office. No, and it's no why because we can't deny Jason Statham as a people. But no, but every dude, I was sitting next to most of the people there were older. 
like in their 60s and stuff. Just like they wanted. That's how my screening was. No. And I thought it was just because I live in Lakeway. No. And I saw this really nice couple. We were talking after. They're like, oh, we're just both big Statham fans. I'm like, this is a married couple. <laughs> they're like, yeah, we go to them. They're like, kind of people who go to the movies. What if we undervalue Statham? What if he's like the ultra, like ultimate, like multi quadrant movie star right I mean, now? I think because it's like. It, the audience was like totally on board. They, they liked the humor. Like the the funny scene that I laughed at a lot was when um, he goes to the second call center with the the dude with like the money suit, the goat suit, the goat suit, and, and he's I doing want this, that suit. he's doing the speech, and then they all start cheering, and it just like pans over, and Jason Statham's in the crowd cheering too, and just murders everyone. Like that was that was why, and the whole audience like lost it. Kind of like Deckard Shaw. This guy's also like Michael Myers. He just gets in that wherever he wants. He literally—it's a kind of disjointed movie. It, it mean, like you were saying, narratively, definitely. Well, the other take that I've seen people try and make that I just think again is a cop out bullshit one is that they're like he's making an intentional John Wick parody. No, and I'm like, no, nah. in no way. This movie's that. played way too sincerely to like to be that. Well, and John Wick. Because John Wick is one of the best action franchises of the last 10 years, doesn't mean it has a corner in the market. You, you have to reckon with it as an action film, but not everything that has a killer dude now is a John Wick movie. There were many before, and Statham was doing them for a long time before John Wick came about. Yeah, this feels like more like the Uber Statham movie, yeah. where it's all of the stuff that we've ever seen, and kind of playing on... The Deckard Shaw part of it is that it's it's like I I feel like it's also why they yada yada a lot of the the <laughs> beekeeper like backstory because like Jeremy Irons shows up he's like yeah it was an old program and run when I was the director of the CIA and they protect the hive and now. He's coming for you, Josh Hutcherson. So then there's nothing you can do. Now, that's the part I that's will the say John is, is thing, the most yeah. wiki thing where he's like, you better just run and hide Josh Hutcherson and drink your oat milk because you killed John Wick's dog. Is coming and he's now the queen killer. And you're like, all right, sure, whatever, man. And even like the movie doesn't seem to give a fuck about his backstory at all. It's just kind of like, all right. It's Jason Statham. Like, he's coming to kill you, and there's nothing you can do because it's Jason Statham. Well, and that, you know, when you think about John Wick, I mean, the lore, especially in the first two, are so important. Like, they spent so much time establishing a very consistent lore. And that's what a lot of people liked about the Wick films when they first came out. It was like, wow, that's actually kind of an elaborate underworld of, like, the Continental, the High Table, the coins, all the rules... Yeah, uh, and it's like that's what kind of drew people. Beekeeper is like, it just elides a lot of that bullshit. They're kind of let's just get to the fucking action. Who cares? They're here. He's bad. He's good. Kill him. And it's not. It's not even Wick style action. Like Wick is a very specific. Wick is also, I feel like, a kind of. It's it's the next step from like woo. You know, it's like yeah, that nobody kind of, is shooting action like the eighty seven eleven guys are. Yeah, it's just nothing like it. And this feels more like again a Statham movie or a David Ayer movie. Or is yeah. the other thing mm -hmm. is you you had said when we were talking about Ayer earlier in the podcast is that um, 
Ayer has a very distinct style of shooting action. And I thought of that too while watching this is that like the gunfights feel like David Ayer, all the color and neon yeah. and stuff feels like him taking it to the worlds that you've been to before. It's a little bit sabotage, a little bit suicide squad. Yeah. Um, the Gatling gun scene is right out of suicide squad. It's a comic Like book. visually yeah. it looks just out of it. And it's, you know, it's him making a David Ayer movie, but like, it takes all of the stuff that you look forward to in a Statham film and just blows it out to like 15. And you're like, sweet, cool. Like, what do you think the body count is in this movie? Like, triple digits, maybe? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. Easily easily 100, 200, maybe. Well, because, like, I think. He blows up a building. He does. Kills a lot of people there. Um, killed a lot of the, well, I guess the first scene doesn't kill many people. He lets the one dude go for a little bit and then cuts his fingers off and yep. throws them over the side of a bridge. Weird uh, plan. It comes back. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of like blade, like in blade two, where it's like, Oh, you thought you, you thought I forgot about you, huh? You know? And then comes back and kills the, the vampire. Well, it's also kind of goes against his ethos too, is the only part of the beekeeper where he keeps talking about like protecting the hive and stuff is that. He lures him back to the hive, and they actually burn Cosby Mom's house down. So it was a little ineffective. He, I don't. I feel like there's some collateral damage there. But again, like he doesn't give a fuck. He's the beekeeper. He's there to to kill everybody. He's gonna kill the president. It's it's weird because, like you said, we were talking about earlier. Like the last what ten years or nine years have been. F- franchises or Richie, right? Like that's it. And so this is his first one-off new, maybe franchise, but just a one-off action film. Like, Oh, it is. This is, if the mechanic has a fucking sequel, the beekeeper's going to have a sequel. Yeah. Yeah. But it feels like it's of that type, right? Have you seen the mechanic sequel? Uh, I, I watched five minutes. Also Simon West. It's pretty bad. Bad. There's a lot of like really weird CGI where it's not necessary. It sucks. It's like just, it's an ugly looking movie. To take it back to BMD, like Statham became kind of part of my brand on that site to where I wrote yearly Statham updates, like how <laughs> what he was doing, what his movies were like. Yeah. And I remember I went and saw the mechanic in theaters and was like, Oh, the mechanic too is bad, <laughs> and it does. It looks like shit. It just looks bad. I, the first one That's was also a the first one was fine. Ben Foster's really good. He, he's really good, exactly in the, the Jean Michael Vincent role. Yeah, and he was in that good era of like when Ben Foster was doing that, and he was doing like I love him in um, like uh, Three Ten to Yuma, right? Like that kind of he was and like it's the same type of part. Yeah, kind of a, a shithead, but but really good. Yeah, real. Nasty. Um, speaking of which, I just watched Death Wish Two for the first time in forever. We got to do a Bronson episode. I mean, maybe, maybe this is the year where we just fire off a bunch of action heroes. I mean, Bronson and Statham have a lot in common. It's a very similar, yeah, style. And, and you said that there was a bunch of Bronson you've never seen. A before. lot. I want to see the White Buffalo. I've heard that's pretty oh, crazy. The J. A. Lee Thompson one. Yeah, it's like Jaws in the snow. With a buffalo. I know. I've heard that, and it just sounds like... Awesome. Really? It's, You'll shit. love it. Because it's a giant mechanical oh. buffalo. 
and it fucks Dude, people. I'm so it's excited. Ca- actually, you know what the movie it reminds me of the most? It's a Razorback. Was, yep. <laughs> and I love Razorback. Yep. You, you're you're going to like this movie a lot. And it's all in the snow. Like, it's Bronson that's good. That's in the snow. That's going to be awesome, Fighting dude. a fucking giant killer buffalo. Oh, dude, I'm so, I've heard it's about it. Orca. I've heard about it, and I keep, like... Oh, just, we're, we'll watch it immediately. Okay. Yeah. Fourth, fourth with. Fourth with. The white buffalo. And have you seen the original mechanic? I have not. Also quite good. No, I have. I have seen the original mechanic. Okay. I watched it before the the remake came out. But, ladies and gentlemen, this is not a Charles Bronson episode. <laughs> before this we digress even a Jason further. Statham episode. Is there anything else you want to talk about with the beekeeper? I think that that's also, I think the majesty of this movie is that it's almost purely experiential. Yeah. Like, I could describe to you what happens, and I have, um, but actually sitting through it is a whole other uh, experience, frankly, because it just, it wallops you upside the head with, like, this is entertainment. Do you want to see Jason Statham kick eight FBI agents in the face? Of course you do. Do you want to watch him kill an entire goon squad that have been inexplicably sent to protect the president of the United States of America? Yes, you, you do. <laughs> so, I mean, what else is there to say outside of Jason Statham? I love you. Yeah, I would just say the same that I, watching all these made me, I've always loved him, but I just, this is one of the few things of watching one, one of the few episodes of watching one actor where in no way did I get tired of him. Because, like, his shit's so good. He's it's incredible so, magnetic. It's so fun. And it's just our kind of movies, man. It's 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 secret handshake all the way. I mean, like, that type of action. Just dudes kicking ass. Um, and multiple face melters. A, lo- a like lot. Wrath of Man, face melter. Face melter. Beekeeper, I would argue. I would say. Borderline face melter, if not face melter all the way. And then... Um, Redemption? In, in a not narrative really. way, but yeah, yeah, but not an action face yeah. melter. But. Redemption, make you cry, like a girl. <laughs> but Martin, this has been great. Indeed, sir. I hope all of you, you know, find a chance or use this as basically an excuse to dive down a Statham rabbit hole. And what do we have for him next? Not too sure yet. I think we're still... Figuring it out? We're still, we, got, we got a couple in the chamber, so we'll see. Yep, but you're going to have to stay tuned to the next episode of Secret Handshake to see just what the fuck that actually is. So we'll see you then. See you then. Bye. 